Shalom, this is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Avrachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, I thank you for this Shabbat, for this time that you have given us to gather as Mishpacha, as family, to worship before you, to encounter you, and to hear from you. Father, I pray that as we open your word today, that you will speak boldly into our hearts and our lives, that it will be your voice heard and received, that nothing of me will be involved except that which you have ordained for this purpose And Father, I pray that you move in a mighty and powerful way in our midst, that we leave this place today prepared to impact the world around us for the kingdom of Yeshua. Amen. All right, so this week we're in Parsha Mishpatim, uh, which means uh, uh, rulings or ordinances, um, and it's a really neat passage. How many of you have ever, in saying the Shema, you know, say Shema Israel, Adonai, Adonai, Chai, and then we say the Ve'ahavta, and Ve'ahavta, Ve'ahavta, and we recognize Yeshua says, he was asked what the most important command was, he says the most important command is to love the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, your strength, and likewise is another, love your neighbor as yourself. And we look at that in Leviticus 19, and we go, the heck does that look like, right? That's how do we how do we do that? How do we love our neighbor as ourselves? Like you know, sometimes many of us really aren't too thrilled with ourselves uh, in the decisions we make and the things that we do or where we find ourselves. So how do we love our neighbor as ourselves? Uh, and and we try to figure out well how do we do that? And so as we look through Parsha Mishpatim, Parsha Mishpatim has I think it's fifty three commandments uh, from from the Torah within it. I'll tell you exactly right now. It has uh, 53 of the 613 commandments of the Torah are found in Parsha Mishpatim, 23 imperative and 30 prohibitions. Um, and out of those, an overwhelming majority depend, de- deal with how we are to treat others. You know, there's a, a passage in this Parsha about if you dig a hole, make sure you cover it, somebody falls and hurts themselves. Uh, if you borrow somebody's stuff and it gets broken, replace it restore, restoration, bring restoration to that situation. There's a, a, a slew of commands in here that deal with how we relate to others, how we interact with others, and how we show the love of God to others as we would like to be loved. Um, and so Mishpatim is really unique and really interesting in that way. There's a few in, in Leviticus that we see very similar uh, focuses on. Uh, and so it's really neat as we look at how do we practically live these things out, you know, because it's really easy to simply say, hey, Yeshua said, love your neighbor yourself. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to love people. Okay, cool. What does that look like? It's not just some vocalized thing and magically it's going to happen, but there's, there's actually ways to go about doing this. And we see a lot of that described in Parsha Mishpatim in this week's Parsha. But I want to focus on a little bit of a different angle. And I was kind of wrestling with two different ideas uh, for the message today and just kind of waiting to see um, what God was going to, to make the focal point uh, as I got up to speak. And, uh, and it's really interesting, too, because I've just decided I'm going to speak for an hour and a half and cover both. And, uh, and then nothing, I'm just joking, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do that. But, um, but there, there's just so much in this Parsha. And I mean, it, it doesn't matter where we are in, in the Torah. Uh, as we move through the Torah cycle, there is 
always an overwhelming amount of information that we can discuss, that we can talk about, and that we can learn from uh, as we move through. And that's the beauty of the Torah. It, you know, the Word of God, the Bible as a whole from Genesis to Revelation is a living Word. And we may read the Torah cycle year after year after year after year for 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years or more, and every time we open up a Parsha, we're going to see something new. Not that like magically the words changed around or God suddenly thought, oh, I got something else to add in here. Let me quickly jot this in and hope nobody notices. But because we're at different places in our life as we move through our life and the Lord is revealing uh, uh, stuff to us from his word that may be new to us, but it is not new to him. So if you have your scriptures, open up to Exodus chapter 23, beginning with verse 20. Exodus chapter 23, beginning with verse 20. It says, Behold, I am sending an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you into the place that I have prepared. Watch for him and listen to his voice. Do not rebel against him because he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if you listen closely to his voice and do everything I say, I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel will go before you and bring you to the Amorites, the Hittites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites, and the Jebusites, all of the ites, and I will cut them off. You are not to bow down to their gods or serve them or do what they do. Rather, you are to utterly throw, overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. You are to serve Adonai your God, and he will bless your food and your water. Moreover, I will take sickness away from your midst. None will miscarry nor, barren in your, be, nor be barren in your land, and I will fill up the number of your days. I will send my terror before you and throw all the people to whom you will come into panic and make all your enemies turn their backs to you. I will send the hornet before you, which will drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in a single year. Otherwise, the land would, over, would become desolate, and the animals of the field will multiply against you. But little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you are fruitful. Then you will possess the land." So we begin this passage with uh, the Lord saying, I am sending uh, a, a messenger. The, the Hebrew word that we translate to angel is, it, it means literally a messenger. I'm sending someone with a message for you. I'm sending a messenger before you uh, to guard you on the way and to bring you into the place that I prepared. Uh, and when we look throughout scripture, it, it, we see, especially in the Tanakh, what's called theologically a theophany. And we talked about this a little bit in Q&A this morning, what we call a theophany, which is a, uh, a human interaction with what appears to be the visible image of God um, uh, or God in human form or what have you. And, uh, and it's really neat as we look at this, because in just a few verses or a few, in the next chapter, uh, chapter 24, we see that Moses uh, Aaron, Nadab, and Avi, who in the 70 elders encounter God, they see him uh, sitting in heaven on the, uh, with his feet on sapphire and so on and so forth. We see this really beautiful, ornate image of where God stands. And so here we recognize that the Lord says, I'm sending somebody ahead of you. You are to listen to him. It says, watch for him, listen to his voice. The verse 21, do not rebel against him because he will not pardon your transgression for my name is in him. But if you listen closely to his voice and do everything I say, I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversary. And he says, his angel will go before you, etc." And what we realize here is that there appears to be some divine aspect to this individual. And personally, and you can argue with me if you want, those online watching this, if you want to argue with me, feel free. I'm okay with it. It doesn't hurt my feelings. Uh, I believe that this is what is theologically called a theophany, that the Lord is speaking of uh, what we know now 
Not that it just suddenly happened in Matthew, but what we know now as the visible image of the invisible God, as Colossians 1.15 says, that this is pre-incarnate Yeshua that's being spoken of. That when Moses, uh, Aaron, Nadab, and Avihu, and the 70 elders see God sitting on the throne in chapter 24 of Exodus, that what they see is the visible image of the invisible God. And uh, what we see Abraham sit down in the fields of Mamre with to eat is the visible image of the invisible God. It is Yeshua before being born of a woman, before uh, coming in human flesh. It is Yeshua. We know the word of God says, Genesis says, we were created in the image and likeness of God. So if we have a physical form, a visible, tangible entity, that means so does God. And so every time we see what we know theologically as theophanies throughout the Tanakh, I believe fervently that this is what we know now. They probably didn't recognize it as such then, but this is what we know now to be uh, Yeshua before being born of a woman, right? Because Yeshua wasn't just like, as I said in Q&A, Yeshua didn't just suddenly pop on the scene in Matthew chapter one. God's like, Oh, I, I, didn't, I have an idea. I didn't think of this. I'm just going to put a part of me down there on earth and walk around and he can fix everything. It'll be all right. It didn't happen that way. Yeshua was a plan from, from the, before the foundations of creation itself. He's always existed. Everything has been created through him and by him. And so if that's the case, then he, in fact, not only is the messenger of the Lord, as we recognize in the Besor and the good news of Messiah, but he is also carrying the name of God. The name of God, as this passage says, is within him. And so he says, I'm going to send my messenger. I'm going to send this, this person that's going to prepare the way for you. He's going to fight for you. And when we look in Joshua, that's exactly what happens is God fights for Israel and prepares the way for him. He says, I'm going to prepare the path for you. I'm going to lay it out before your feet. And all you have to do is go and take claim to it. This is speaking of the promises of God, the, the will for God for our lives, particularly in this case, contextually and literally for Israel's journey into the promised land and what he's going to do. And as he says, he says, as long as you follow him, you listen to him, you do not deny him. As long as you listen to my ways, live by my ways and honor me, I will make sure that everything goes well. I will put panic and fear in the eyes of those in Canaan. Uh, I will make sure that the hornets come in and prepare the way. And all you got to do is go clean up the mess. But here's where it gets interesting. In the midst of all of this, not that, you know, the whole Yeshua and the Tanakh thing wasn't interesting because it is, but here's where it gets interesting. All of this boils down, I think, in all honesty, to this one concept. In verse uh, uh, 28, it says, I will send the hornets before you, which will drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in a single year. Otherwise, the land would become desolate, and the animals of the field will multiply against you. But little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you are fruitful." then you will possess the land. Now, in this case, the land is, is the promises of God. This is the promise that has been spoken to Avino Abraham, to Yitzhak, to, uh, to, to, to uh, uh, Jacob, to Yaakov. This is the promise that's been spoken to through, Joshua, or through uh, uh, Moses and Joshua to the nation of Israel. This is the reality of what God has said he has in store for his people, the children of Israel, and those that attach themselves with them as we see leaving uh, Egypt in a mixed multitude. He says, this is the promise I have for you. I will, I've already prepared the land. It's already going to be yours, but I'm not going to give it to you all at once. All right, I'm not just gonna drop this windfall in your lap and let you kind of figure it out. So I'm gonna give it to you little by little, little by little, little by little. How many of you have ever sinned in, in, in your life, right? We've, we've all have, you're all liars. It's okay, raise your hands. We've, uh, we've all sinned in our lives, like three people raise their hands. We've all sinned in our lives, right? We've all made mistakes. We've all done. As a matter of fact, the reason we needed the blood of the Lamb is because we sinned. And just as Israel had to little by little 
earn the promises. I don't mean earn it like they had to go and, and take it, but God was going to give it to them little by little, the promises of the land of Canaan that would become Eretz Israel, the land of Israel. The same is true for us as followers of Messiah, as believers. Our lives are despicable before Messiah. They're a lot better after Messiah. And as long as we continue to walk faithfully in Messiah, listening to Messiah, who is this messenger spoken of here in Exodus 23, who carries the name of the Lord, as long as we continue to listen to him, he will continue to pave the way that all of the mess in our lives that can separate us from God and that can damage the image and likeness of God in our lives that others will see will slowly fall away. But anybody who's a believer will be honest and say, I hope, would be honest and say, you know what? There are certain things in my life that it took a while for God to knock away. Some of that was because we were in the way. Some of that was because we weren't willing to let it go. And some of that was because there were even bigger issues that had to be dealt with first. But this is the reality of a life of a disciple. God's not going to put us in the promised land, wipe everyone else out, and just let a couple of people find a way to furrow the ground and make it happen. It's just not going to work that way. God is going to make sure that when we step into his promises, that his promises are faithful in our life because his word is true. And he recognizes that if we step into the fullness of his promises immediately, that one, we're not going to be able to walk in it because it's going to overcome us and everything around us is going to overcome us. But two, is we're going to miss out on the things that the Lord wants to do and teach us as we move through. So see here in Parsha Mishpatim, the Lord, uh, throughout the Torah, but the Lord is prom making promises to Israel. He's, uh, he's telling Israel that he's going to bring them into the promised land. He's telling them that he's going to take care of them and, and make sure that everything that he has said is going to come true. Uh, and he says, uh, I will bring you into the, the, the fullness of his will and the fullness of God's will, uh, but... He calls us to follow his ways faithfully to experience it. So it's not just a, you know, hey, here it is. This is everything I'm going to give you. Now have fun. He says, I'm going to give you my promises little by little by little. And in order to continue to experience all that I have in store for you, you have to continue to walk with me faithfully. You have to continue to heed my word and to listen to my command and to follow the one who I've sent, who my name is within. He says, we must not be only, uh, we must not be only faithful, but patient as we can only see uh, the, 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 uh, the here and now, but the Lord is able to see the big picture right? We can see what's going on around us immediately. So Israel going into the promised land in a few books as we move into Joshua, Israel going into the promised land, they can see everything around them, but only in the here and now. So they can see all the Canaanites around them and the, 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 the damage that they could, uh, could, could cause and everything, but all they can see is right here and right now. As a matter of fact, we can look at Israel in just a few chapters while Moses is on the mountain a few weeks too long for their patience that they can't even remember where they came from and how bad it really was, much less what is waiting for them in the future. They're only focused on the here and now. Moses has been gone too long. Uh, psh, let's build a golden calf and we'll say that that's our God that brought us out of Israel and we'll follow him. So Israel going into the promised land, they can only see the here and now. You and I walking in faith in the blood atonement of Messiah, we can only see the here and now. We can see what we've been through and remember it, and we can live our lives in a way that we don't fall back into it, but we can't see what lies ahead. But God can see the big picture, right? So we have to be patient in waiting on God's promises because his promises are going to come true, but they're going to come true little by little by little as he prepares us for what he has in store right? When we become believers, it's not instantaneously everything we've ever done wrong in our lives falls away and we never do it again. 
the big things fall away and then as we continue to walk in discipleship then the next thing falls away and the next thing falls away and the next thing falls away if you're an alcoholic and you come to the lord the lord's gonna deal with your alcoholism before he can deal with anything else it doesn't matter if you lie every once in a while if you're still drunk 90 percent of your life there's nothing we can do to fix your lie right and so god's gonna deal with the alcoholism first and then the next issue and the next issue and the next and if we're honest about it as believers walking in a life of faith we need to realize that there is always another issue that we haven't quite dealt with yet, that the Lord is wanting to correct in our lives so we can be even more fervent in our faithfulness with Him, so that we can be an even better uh, likeness of His image in our lives for others to see. But we can only see the here and now while He sees the big picture, and so we have to be patient in what He's trying to do. I think there's two things about waiting on the will of the Lord that we need to learn as believers that I think a lot of times we lose sight of. Um, and when we're waiting on him, it's really easy for us to go, Psh, you know, things went pretty quick in the beginning and it seems to have slowed down. I don't know what's happening. We sat here for three and a half years waiting for the Lord to, to provide the means for us to close on the, the, the synagogue property so that we could actually buy it. And there were a number of times in that process that we were like, Psh, what the heck is going on here? We wholeheartedly believe that the Lord told us this is ours, confirmation after confirmation after confirmation, and here we are still waiting. What is happening? While at the same time, we were watching God work in miraculous ways in all sorts of other areas. And so it's important that we understand these two things that, that I truly believe will make that patience process, that waiting process for the fullness of God's promises in our lives, that much easier if we continue to walk faithfully in Him. Number one, we cannot become comfortable or complacent where we are. Just because we see some of God's promises becoming reality in our lives doesn't mean we've experienced everything he's got in store. We can't become comfortable or complacent. Comfortable and or complacent because a lot of times that complacency comes from being too comfortable where we are. Because when we become comfortable and complacent, we miss out on everything else the Lord wants to do. Because then he's got to drag us out of that comfort place again. And coming out of that comfort place is painful. It's difficult. It doesn't feel good. It's, if, you're, if you don't like public speaking and somebody asks you to come on stage and speak in front of a bunch of people, you've been taken out of your comfort zone. And it is not fun. It's not good for you. You're not happy with it. You don't want to do it. You may do it anyways, but you don't want to. And the reality is, is God needs us not to reside in that comfort place in his promises so long that we rob ourselves of everything else he's got in store. And the second thing is we cannot become impatient and or angry while we wait. We cannot become patient, uh, impatient and or angry while we wait because the reality is God doesn't move on our time frame. And even more important is the reality that God doesn't exist in time. So the promises that, that we are waiting for to be fulfilled, when Israel stood at the base of Mount Sinai and were waiting on the fulfillment of the promise of God to go into the land of Canaan and for it to be their eternal inheritance, in Israel's time, they're standing on Mount Sinai. God's outside of time and everything else had already played out in front of him. So we can only see the here and now, but God sees the big picture. He sees the whole thing, and we can't become impatient and angry like, God, why are you not doing this yet? Why isn't this moving faster? Why aren't we going where we need to go yet? Because he's already told us, I'm going to give it to you little by little. Because if it happens too fast or if it happens too slow, you're going to walk away. You're going to be overcome. You're going to be burdened down. You're going to lose sight of what I want to do in you, through you, and for you. 
but you've got to be patient. You've got to wait on him. We can't become comfortable. We can't become complacent. We can't become impatient, and we can't become angry because the Lord is going to fulfill his promises. We have to walk faithfully in him no matter what because as soon as we step outside of his will, because we become comfortable in the here and now, and we lose sight of what he's got awaiting us, or because we get angry at him for not moving fast enough, we become like Abraham and Sarah and Hagar who tried to jump ahead of God's will. We become like uh, uh, Jacob and Esau when they try to jump ahead of God's will. God had already said the older would serve the younger. They didn't have to do the whole birthright over the lentil soup thing, which by the way, lentil soup's good, but I don't think it's birthright good. They didn't have to do the whole, let's, let's, let's trick dad into giving me the, the blessing so that I can run away and get out of here. Because if we truly believe in God's promises, if we truly believe that God is faithful, it is going to happen. It's just not necessarily going to happen in our time, zone, in our time frame. It's going to happen in his. And we have to walk faithfully, trusting him to do what he says he's going to do so that when the time comes that all does come into place, and he says here, he goes, by, but little by little I will drive them out from before you until you are fruitful. Then you will possess the land. He doesn't say, I'm just going to drop in your lap and see what happens. He says, I'm going to do it little by little. As you mature, I'll give you a little more. As you mature, I'll give you a little more. As you continue to mature, I'll give you a little more. As believers in Messiah, sometimes we forget to mature. Sometimes we forget to, to step back and just let God move. And we get burdened down in the here and now and all of the things going on around us. And we get angry because we know that there's so much more the Lord is wanting to do in our lives. has said he's going to do, but we're still just here. We're still just in this stagnant place. But there's a lesson to learn in that place so that when we go to the next site, we're ready to see what God's got in store there. We can move past James 1 verse 2. It's one of my favorite passages uh, uh, of Scripture because I think it really puts things into perspective for us. James 1 verse 2 says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Not knowing that the testing of your faith produces comfort and complacency or impatience and anger, but the testing of your uh, faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect work so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Endurance running, seeing dudes out running marathons and ultra marathons. They, it's not a sprint. You don't fire off the line and run a marathon in 3.27 seconds. It doesn't work that way. It takes hours, or if you're me, weeks upon weeks upon weeks. It's an endurance. It's something you've got to continue to fight for and let endurance have its perfect work so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all without hesitation and without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without any doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind for the, that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. But let the brother in humble circumstances boast in his high position and the rich person in his humble position, because like the flower of the grass, he will pass away. 
For the sun arises with a scorching heat and withers the grass and its flowers falls uh, off of off and all the beauty of its uh, appearance is destroyed. So also the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will wither away. Happy is the one who endures testing because when he stood the test of time, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord promised to those who love him. You got to understand the fullness of God's promise for your life, his will for your life, there's nothing that's going to happen in your life on this rock. It's what awaits us when we sit at his feet in the presence of his glory for all eternity. And we must continue in patience and endurance for that goal. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot tempt, be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each one is tempted when he is dragged away and enticed by his own desire. When our will is so intertwined with God's will, our desire doesn't matter. When we step outside of the will of God, which by the way means we jack things up, not him, that's when temptation comes into play. Then we desire, uh, then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is full grown, it brings forth death. Do not be de- deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. By his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. And just like Israel entering the promised land of the book of Joshua, it, took, uh, uh, it requires a patience. It requires an endurance. Being willing to wait, to know that God is only going to give us little by little by little until we've gone through that perfecting process and we are able to sit in His glory for all eternity. And everything between now and then is a process of discipleship. It's a process of, of crucible in which the, the, the metals are being refined in fire. Uh, you know, the, I, was, I was never a Marine. Don't, don't think I was. I, I tried to go in the Marines, and God kept shutting that opportunity down because um, uh, he had greater things in store for my life than what I could picture at the time. But the Marines have a, a really neat tradition. It doesn't matter if you go to Paris Island or, or, or San Diego. They have a really neat tradition where the last three days of Marine Corps basic training is what's called the crucible. And you've gone through 12, uh, give or take 12 weeks of training up to this point. The last three days, you've got three MREs to eat. You've got to make it last over the course of that three days. You get no sleep. It's a 24-hour, three-day, nonstop, live fire uh, training, or or rather battle simulation. You get uh, minimal food, no sleep, very little water. You've got to find a way to survive this thing. And, And by the way, historically, there have been numerous people who've died in the crucible. But on the other side, when you come out the other end, you may be dead tired, but you're officially a Marine. And in order to become a Marine, you've got to go through the crucible. I don't care if you do 12 weeks of basic training and drop out before you go to the crucible, um, which you can't. They always say the only way out of Paris Island is either in uniform or in a body bag. Um, but the, the, the reality is that crucible, that, that final three days is what makes you a Marine. And that crucible, the scripture talks about it, that we've got to go through a crucible in which the, the purities are refined and all of the impurities are taken out and we become a better, stronger version of what the Lord wants to do through us and who he wants us to be. And just like in this Parsha, it says that when he sends his messenger, we are to follow him because his name is in him. The author, the author of Hebrews commends us five different times not to reject the message of Messiah because the message of Messiah is the word of God. 
Because Yeshua HaMashiach is God himself robed in flesh. He is the literal uh, fulfillment of this promise from Exodus 23. And we as believers in this perfecting process, as we are awaiting the promises of God to be fulfilled in our lives, we as believers must continue to walk faithfully in what he is doing in our lives. And I remind you one more time in closing, these This cannot be done at all if we ever find ourselves in our walk in a place where we become comfortable or complacent with where we are rather than constantly longing for the better that God has in store. That doesn't mean we write off where we are. That doesn't mean we aren't happy and satisfied where we are. But we need to recognize God's always got more in store. He may have given us the land little by little, but that little by little is going to continue to go as long as we continue to walk in Him. And we've got to make sure we never become impatient or angry while we wait because he is always faithful and we must be always faithful to see what he has for our lives and what he wants to do in our lives for his kingdom and the world around us. Avrachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you. We love you and we adore you. I ask you, Lord, to continue the refining process in our lives to make us better examples of what you desire for us to be, that we don't just long for the fulfillment of your promises in our lives, but, Lord, that day in and day out, we long for that perfecting process little by little as you refine the impurities and bring about a better product in the end so that when we stand before your throne of judgment, we get to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. And we get to sit at your feet for all eternity, which is ultimately the biggest reality of your promises fulfilled among your people. Father, we thank you that your word rings true generation from generation, uh, eternally unchanged, and that every time we open it up, you have something to reveal to us, something to speak into our lives, something to further that process of perfection in our lives. In the name of Yeshua Messiah, we pray and everyone says, Amen.